If you have your copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're making our way through Paul's letter. And uh, this might be the last sermon from 1 Thessalonians because I don't know if I should do the benediction section or not. Although this morning I was reading, I was rereading this passage, and verse 27 leapt out at me. Or verse 27, this is 1 Thessalonians 5 27. Paul says to the receiver of the letter, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul says, I want this, be sure this whole letter gets read to the whole church. The whole church. So, uh, I may come back and uh, smack that dog a little while because I think that's worthy of talking about. Now, I want to give you a sermon this morning entitled, How to Treat the Holy Spirit. I've, we've talked about how to treat the pastor, and you guys treat me super good, to be honest with you. Um, how to treat God, how to treat each other, and now how to treat the Holy Spirit. Because these instructions are communal. Let's make a short prayer together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us now as we, yeah, we got all these distractions going on. Help us to kind of get our minds aimed back at your word. And Father, I pray that for the next, you know, half hour or so that uh, we'll be distraction free. And we ask you for your help, Lord. And if all these things are taking place to remind us that we need you even in the little details of our Sunday worship, Lord, we're getting the message. We pray that you would help us now in Christ's name. Amen. Now, look at verses 19 to 22. These are parts of the communal instruction for the church. These are things the church, the local visible fellowships, need to take uh, account of, be aware of. So, verse 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, the Holy Spirit is present in our worship every Sunday when we get together. Because the church, according to 1 Corinthians, is a habitation of the Holy Spirit. So the assembled, the assembled church is a temple for the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Well, we know that Christ our Lord he is present on the throne in glory. He is seated in the heavenlies. So who is it that is here amongst us when we meet together in his name? It is the Holy Spirit. So this convocation of believers, this assembly, we are a special residence of the Spirit. So we can trust that the Holy Spirit is here with us right now. And then the Holy Spirit lives within each one of us individually. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians, since the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you need to be cautious about how you live and have respect for his presence within your body. Now, now keep this in mind, my friends, is that everything that you do, everything you watch, everything you say, everything you listen to, everything that goes on in your life, if you're a Christian, you take the Holy Spirit through all that stuff with you. The Holy Spirit is there, right? So the Holy Spirit is a person. And this 
person should be treated in a certain way. We should treat the Holy Spirit with the kind of respect and reverence that we treat the Lord and, of course, God the Father. Now, Paul mentions here in 1 Thessalonians that we should not quench the Spirit. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says something similar where he says, don't grieve the Spirit. Both of these admonitions by the Apostle Paul is, are telling those of us who are Christians that we need to be thoughtful about how we treat the Spirit. Here he says, quench the Spirit. And the idea of quenching here is consistent with the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, when they had the tabernacle and the, the Israel in the wilderness, the presence of God was noted or manifested by what? Fire, flames, a smoking altar. And so this idea of God being represented by fire is an Old Testament expression. But then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, what was it that sat upon the believers on that day? Cloven tongues of fire, saying that the Spirit had come. The fire had fallen upon them at Pentecost. And so when the Apostle Paul says, do not quench the Spirit, he wants, to, he wants us to be aware that while fire can do a lot of damage, yes, Wednesday, the mill caught on fire down here. It's messed up everybody's uh, traffic thoroughfare down there. I mean, that was a lot of fire. I asked one of the guys who was down there at the fire if they checked the temperatures. He said, they do. I said, what was the temperature? He said, it got to over 2,000 degrees down there. That's a hot fire. And you can see what the fire did down there, how the fire has incredible power. Whoosh! But fire can also be fragile. Have you ever tried to light the pilot light on a hot water heater or on your furnace? Remember back in the old days? And you got to, when me and Valerie first got married, we lived in a shanty down by the river. <laughs> and we had a furnace, in the, had a, one big vent, had, a, had, a, had a, a, a furnace in the floor kind of a deal down there. And I remember take, tried, the pilot light went out and it was freezing cold in that house. And she said, Terry, the heat ain't working. And I said, you're just a sissy. <laughs> so, man, she's like, no, I'm telling you, there should be a, fire, a flame down there. I've seen it before. It's gone out. And so <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a top-rate place we're living in, man. And so I don't know how to light that thing. I can see the pilot light thing down there. And so I take a clothes hanger. I straighten it out. I bend the end of it with my pliers and put a match in it. I light the match and lower it down. But on the way down, the wind under the house was so strong, whoosh, it's blowing it out. Finally, I said, girl, I got to go to work where it's warm. <laughs> so while fire can do a lot of good, it has great power. It can be quenched. And the Holy Spirit, who is present here with us today and within us as believers, He can do incredible things in and through us, but not if we quench Him. Not if we put Him out. And so the question kind of comes to our mind, well, what doth it mean to quencheth the Spirit? Well, that's a good question. Because of what Paul says in verse 20, 21 and 22, it seems to be, he seems to be talking about listening to the Holy Spirit. 
And he says, do not despise prophesyings. Test everything. Cleave to that which is good. Listening to the Holy Spirit. Now, Albert Barnes offers us six ways that we grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not using grieve and quench synonymous. I don't mean to do that. That's just what I have written down here in error. But quenching the Holy Spirit, six ways we do it. I'm going to run through these very quickly, all right? The first way we quench the Holy Spirit is by open and coarse sins in our life. Bold sins. Barnes says these are thefts, falsehoods, lies, anger, and the connected vices that go along with it. These open kind of sins that, you know, we do a lot of secret sinning. Any secret sinners here say amen? Yeah, we all got a lot of secret stuff we're up to. Then we got these bold sins, the big ones. And, they, and he says primarily, he said one thing is these big, these big flamboyant sins that really, that really make big ripples in the ways of our life. That's how we quench the Holy Spirit, by committing sins. He says, number two, anger in all of its forms. Throughout the Bible, you see anger condemned over and over and over again. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's like six things listed that will get you in trouble at your local church. And one of those sins is anger. Anger. When you are angry, you, it's hard to know what you'll do or say. Now, I, I have, man, when I lose my temper, nothing matters. Blow it up, tear it up. Destroy it. It doesn't matter when I get really mad. And it's almost like sometimes you feel like another spirit has taken over you. And there's a certain kind of pleasure that comes from being really mad. I've been so angry sometimes, just, in, just livid. And when I'm done, when, it, when, when the storm of anger passes away, I feel... Because oh, I'm emotionally drained because I've had such an adrenaline rush in my anger. Anger is a powerful thing. Powerful thing. Remember Dr. David Banner's research? <laughs> it was an old series on TV called The Incredible Hulk. And he would say, don't make me angry. Why? You won't like me when I'm angry. When I was a kid, me and my brother, we used to, we used to, we used to say, don't make mom hulk out. <laughs> she could turn into a monster. <laughs> so a- anger in all its forms, you've got to be careful with anger. anger. Anger could often be a sin. Be angry and sin not. Now that, that, that warning there is telling us that when you are getting angry, be careful, be careful because sin is right around the corner. You can be angry about something. There's a such thing probably as righteous indignation, I would say. But when you get mad, your, your sin is going to be real, real, real close by. Number three, immoral sexual thoughts and desires. This is something that we all wrestle with. These things go on in our minds. Now, sexual thoughts are not necessarily bad, if they're thoughts about your own wife or your own husband. But the other kinds are bad. And these quench the Holy Spirit. Number four, Barnes says, ingratitude. 
Are you, are you aware or sensitive to ingratitude? Do you know people who are in your life who you think are an ingrate? They're not thankful for what you do for them or what you, how you take care of them? Ingrate? Ingratitude? If we are sensitive to ingratitude, then so must the Holy Spirit be sensitive to ingratitude because what has the Holy Spirit done for us? Why, He has saved us. He's the one that threw on the light in our life so we could see our true spiritual condition and see that Christ is the only way to be saved, that Christ is the only source of righteousness and gratitude. Number five is neglect. The Spirit of God is grieved by neglect because Barnes says he often prompts us to pray. Often prompts us to pray. You may say in a practical sense, what does that mean, prompted to pray? Well, when stuff comes up in your life, you don't quite know what to do, you pray about it. I don't quite know how to figure this problem out. Lord, please help me. Now, I, I've been a Christian. You know, I've, been, I've been around Christians my whole life. And sometimes Christians can flat get under your skin. Big time. So I can remember as a kid, and my dad was always losing two things. Kid. <laughs> I started to say his mind. <laughs> but... He was always losing his car keys and the checkbook. You guys remember the hunch for the checkbook? Where's the checkbook? We only had one because if we had two, then we had no money. <laughs> and I can remember my dad looking for his keys or the checkbook. He'd say, Kathy, it's my mom's name, Kathy, you see my keys? Where'd you put them? I don't know where I put them. If I knew where I put them, I wouldn't be asking you where they are. <laughs> help me look. If she was sitting down, he'd say, get up and help me look. She'd get up and she'd start looking for his keys, you know. You know, first thing she did was feel his pants. Because <laughs> sometimes he'd be in his pocket nut you know so we're looking for it but after a while when you can't find it, you just get more and more ticked off and my little brother with his little halo why don't we pray I wanted to hit him dad wanted to hit him mom wanted to hit him we all wanted to hit him and we'd all kind of go all right, you do it. Joel say, Lord, help us find Dad's keys. And guess what would happen within a few minutes? Keys would miraculously appear from heaven, you know. They'd float down on a cloud or something, and there they'd be. And, you know, that's a humorous thing. And you may have been through those kind of things in your life. I've prayed that Lord help me find my keys since then because I learned it from my brother. I hate to say that. Hope you don't listen to this tape tape. <laughs> Hope he doesn't listen. But we, we can pray about all kinds of stuff. Prompted to pray by difficulties. Sometimes maybe we're not really thinking about praying too much. And uh, you kind of got to, I don't know, my, brother, my brother-in-law would say it like this. I hate to quote him too. My brother-in-law would say spiritual impulses probably mean something. So if you feel like you should pray about something, maybe you should pray about it. If you're at work tomorrow and you start thinking about me or you know, anybody else in the church, 
Maybe the reason the Lord made him pop into your mind at that moment is because you need to make a prayer for him. Lord, I don't know what's going on in you know, so-and-so's life. Be with them right now. Help them. And maybe, maybe they're about ready to get some bad news. Maybe they're going through a tough time at work. Maybe they're about to do a big sin. And they need you to intercede on their behalf to kind of stop them from doing it. I mean, we're all, we're, we're all interconnected. I mean, we are Christians. That means we are spiritual people. And the Holy Spirit, there's one spirit filling, filling millions of people throughout the world. There's an interconnectedness that we do have. And Barnes says, we neglect to pray. He also says we neglect to pay attention to the obvious way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and that's through his word, reading the Bible. Now, I go back and forth on this in my mind because I realize not every person is a reader. My brother's not really a reader. I saw his library one time. It wasn't very big. Six coloring books and one puzzle. <laughs> I hope you hear that, Joel. <laughs> You know, not everybody likes to read. And uh, I know the Bible is a book. And, but, you know, friends, the only way you're going to get that good word inside of you is to read it. And you, there's lots of great translations out there to do it. You can listen to it online. You can get it on, uh, you know, on, if you go to sermonaudio.com, they have a little feature. You can, it'll read it to you. Most Bible apps will read the Bible to you. Read it and follow along. If you, if you get hungry enough for it, you're gonna, you'll figure out a way to get some of it in. But it's going to be good for you. You don't, have, you, don't have to, you, know, you don't have to worry about mastering the Bible and figuring out all, all, the, all the stuff. I mean, I've been a Christian a long time, and I still don't know what Daniel's, not Daniel's visions. What's the other guy who had the visions of the wheels and the wheels spinning around? Ezekiel. I still don't know what that's about. And to be honest with you, well, I just don't know. I hate to be arrogant about my ignorance, but it's too late for that. But you're gonna, you don't have to master the Bible. But you do, you, you, it, it's good for you to know something about God and about how, how the Spirit has spoken to us through His Word. Because you never quite know when there's going to be, I call it the finger from heaven, comes down and says, that verse is for you right now. This is something good for you. Me and my wife, are going, we were going through a very difficult time. And at the time, I was reading the book of Job. And to be honest with you, I read the book of Job lots of times. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe a, I don't know, maybe a several dozen times. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe not that many. But at the time when we were going through this difficulty, I was reading the book of Job. And at that particular season of my life, every phrase of Job was ringing bells in my heart. I've gone back to read Job since then, and it hasn't been quite as glorious and delicious to me as it was then. So there's something, there's, there's a, there's something to this word from the Spirit that's the Scriptures. And you, you need to read it. Right? So the sixth thing is resistance. We often resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us towards Christ and away from the world. But we don't, we don't want to get away from the world because we like the world. We like, we like the stuff of this world. We like sins. And so when the Spirit would lead us away from sin away from behaving like Christ, we resist him. We pull away. Now, Valerie and I, we've had, we've had five children together, and they're, they're all, they've all been such a blessing to us, and we're thankful for all five of them most of the time. And, uh, 
We've been walking through the, when, when they were little, and of course, I think most it was just Mitchell, I think, that was, did this, my oldest son. Uh, you, you, ever, you ever walk through the store with your kid, got him by the hand, you know, and you're walking along, and, and, you, ha- and you have important things on your mind, right? You got you to gotta, you gotta get someplace. But the kids, you know, they're at a different level than we are. They're down low, and they see stuff that you and I don't see. And so you're zipping through the store, and they stop, they see something shiny. And they pause. Or maybe you're paused, and you're looking up here, and they're down here, and they're, they're looking, and you try to go, but then they don't go. They're like, come on. But they don't want to go. Come on. But, but. And then they go all noodly on you. They turn into a wet noodle. <laughs> down on the floor they go. You're like, come on. Have you ever seen a parent dragging her kid through the store? <laughs> Nowadays, somebody turn you in for it. But, you know, back in the good old days, it was everywhere. <laughs> there were skid marks everywhere. <laughs> Kids being drugged through stores. I mean, back in the day. Sometimes the Spirit, He's trying to lead us away or to. And we're like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want to go. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit, he has to put it in four low and put some more power on the ground and get you to move along. And, and, that, and, and that hurts. But we resist the Holy Spirit because we're rebellious people by nature. We don't, we don't want to do the right thing sometimes. So we resist the Spirit. And these are six ways that Albert Barnes says that we quench the Spirit's influence in our life. Think of it like this. Six ways that we are putting out the light in our life. Putting out the light. Now we could, I could just make it back there and switch off the lights and we'd all be sitting here in the dark. And you wouldn't be able to see your Bible anymore. It just, it's, it's different. You need the light from the Lord. So this quenching. Paul says don't quench the Spirit. When we quench it, we're putting out the light of knowledge that comes from the Holy Spirit in our worship as a church. Now, the primary way that the Lord speaks to his people as an assembled church is through the preaching of God's word. The central element of of evangelical worship is the preaching of God's word. Now, if you go into a church that's not exactly evangelical, you'll find that the pulpit... The speaking place in the church is very often not in the center, it's to the side. Now, the reason for that is in a church that's the that church that believes that the sacraments are the highest form of worship. In the center, you have an altar where they have the Eucharist or the communion elements in the center. And the pulpit will be to one side or the other. Sometimes there'll be one on one side where there is a reader who reads. Then there'll be another place where somebody on the other side preaches from. But in the evangelical churches, it's in the center because the central part of our worship as Christians is not receiving communion from the Lord but hearing a word from the Lord. 
Martin Luther said that every church, every house of worship should be a mouth house, a place of speaking, a place where the word of the Lord is declared, is taught, is proclaimed, especially the message of the gospel. Now, a message from the Bible is a message from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has produced the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. 1 Peter, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Peter 1 verse 21 says, The holy men spake as they were moved by the holy, by, holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Spirit to speak. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1, he said, Timothy, organize a Sunday school. No, he didn't say that. Timothy, be sure you got exciting, stirring, stimulating worship songs. He didn't say that either. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Proclaim the word. Because it's through the word of God that you're getting a message from God. It's the Lord speaking to you through his word. This is the word of the Lord. And this word of God that comes to us is a light that we need. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We are not in heaven yet. We're close. If you want to make it all the way, just cross the bridge, right? To the UP, is that heaven? Close. Who said that? Get out. <laughs> no, <I'm teasing. laughs> he, I mean, this, this place we live in, this northern Michigan, I got to be honest with you guys, I, I whine about winter and snow, but the place is pretty tasty. The water is so pretty. The trees are so pretty. The fish are pretty. Even when you're not catching fish here, the fish are pretty. Watching them swim by. You know, waving, hey, Terry. <laughs> See you next year. <laughs> it's, it's a very tasty place to live. But this is not heaven. This is actually a dark world in which we live, and we need the light of God's word to navigate this world in which we live. And some of you are floundering in the darkness because you are not paying any attention to what God's word says. You're floundering in the darkness. And, and, but you don't know it. You think you can handle it. But you can't handle it. Because the darkness is just going to get thicker, deeper. And within the darkness, you might, you know, if, if, we, flipped, if we took up all the chairs and flip on the lights, flip off the lights and black it out in here, you could wander around without any difficulties. You're just going to mill around and banging each other. But if we flip off all the lights and it's dark in here, we leave the chairs up or we just artfully position the chairs, some of you are going to get hurt big time, big time. You're wandering around in the darkness without the light and you feel like, hey, I know this territory. I know this house like the back of my hand. I know what's out there. I can handle it. And what's going to happen to you because you refuse to take up the light of God's word or listen to how God speaks to you through the preaching of his word, you're going to walk right into a wall. You're going to hit the wall. And you'll probably bounce off of it the first time. 
But the next time you hit it, you're going to be going a little bit faster, a little more confidence. You're going to keep hitting that wall until finally you have yourself a massive pileup. And you're going to be busted, broken up. And you'll, be, and you'll say, I wish I, had just, I wish I had just listened to the Lord. I wish I had turned on the light. Now, friends, when I'm saying that to you, I'm not trying to speak prophetically to you. I'm speaking to you from experience. I knoweth what I saith. I've lived this. I'm preaching out of my experience. And, I, I, and I, to be honest with you, probably we could pause right now and lots of people here could testify to the very same thing. If not in their own life, they've watched it happen in the lives of people they love and care about. This word from the Lord, this word of God is a light to us. Don't put it out. You need all the light that you can get. So don't despise it. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't despise how he speaks to us through preaching. Now, people despise what they don't value or understand. Now, preaching, what I'm doing, is God's chosen means of bringing salvation to mankind. That's Romans 10, 13. How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This is a vehicle that God has chosen to save souls and to help Christians find their way in a dark world. And I'll give you a few reasons why people despise and uh, I'll give you this part and we'll be done. All right? All in favor say aye. All right. Don't despise preaching. People despise preaching sometimes because they find fault with the messenger. Because here's what happens. I know. I lived in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor. I know. And when my dad was yakking about my sins, I was sitting there looking at him thinking, I know your sins. <laughs> my dad's talking about being patient and temperate and meek. I'm like, yeah, I watched you look for your car keys, buddy. <laughs> so people find fault with the messenger. Sometimes I don't like the preaching because I don't really care for the messenger. And a preacher is supposed to be a certain kind of person. But even though a preacher may have odd qualities or irksome ways or deficiencies, you have to focus on what he is saying. It's not, it's not, it's not, I'm not giving you my, my recipe for happy living. I'm telling you God's recipe for happy living. Um, this is not teriology, this is theology. This is not Bashamology, this is bibliology, I guess you'd say. Not the right, quite the right word. But. Focus on what is being said, not who is saying or how it's being said, but what is being said. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul talks about his own preaching. He says, I did not come to you with excellency of speech. And it, it, I came to you with the truth. And then he goes on to talk about how I know he says in first second Corinthians, first Corinthians, he says, I know that people think that I am not too fun to be around. That I have that there's something about my physical presence that's distasteful. 
all the theologians try to figure out what that is exactly. Was he, did he have some kind of a, uh, some kind of funk to him? Did he, and some people say he had an eye problem that caused his eye to ooze constantly and he, and he was yucky to look at. And some of the descriptions I've heard from evangelical pastors about what the Apostle Paul looked at, hey, I'm glad, we have any, I'm, I'm glad there are no pictures of him. Because he says, my personal presence is distasteful. But it's the message of the Apostle that's important. It's the message. So you can despise People despise the preach because they find fault with the messenger. My friends, we have to value the substance of the message over the form of the messenger, right? Number two. Oh, there's no numbers, just next. People despise preaching when they disagree with the content. Sometimes we just don't like what the Bible says about something. And so we just kind of say, oh, I don't listen to any of that stuff anymore. He said one time that the Detroit Lions were going to win Sunday, and I don't believe it. They're going to win today, right? Right? Now look. <laughs> the preacher says, the preacher says I, don't, I don't like it because of something he said. <clears throat> the content. So, the, the fun thing about preaching through books of the Bible is you're forced to talk about stuff you wouldn't normally talk about. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you've got to talk about everything. Now, sometimes, like last Sunday, I gave a different sermon because I didn't feel like I really could give this sermon. I didn't feel like I had it structured right, so I gave a different sermon. Now, there are other, there are other times when I get to a passage in the Bible and I think about just, like, I'm not going to preach that passage at all. Because they're hard to deal with. You've got to talk about things that are, that are awkward. Right? And so sometimes you may not like preaching because we don't like the content, what's being said. Sometimes we just disagree with it. Now, it is possible that in my time as your pastor, going forward and, and backwards, you're going to hear me teach things or perspectives that you've never heard before. And you're going to go, what is, what's he doing? Nobody else says it that way. Dr. Bottlestopper never said that. My grandpa never said that. You know, and people say, well, I don't really care for this because it's something new to you. Now, just because something is new to you doesn't mean it's not true. I, listen, I, I've, been, I've been in this business a long time, and I've changed my mind about tons of stuff. Tons of stuff. And sometimes because something is out of the norm, you're like, I don't like that because it's new. You have to care about that word new. It's not really new. It's just a new way, a different way of looking at it. That's why, you have, that's why church history is so glorious, because you have all this rich history to look at and say, well, how, is Terry just making this up? Or have other people said it before? Well, you look, look in history and say, yeah, everybody's been saying it. Sometimes we get isolated. You know, I don't want to beat this dog too much, but <clears throat> there you go. You don't like what the Bible says about something. Sometimes what the Bible says is, is so clear, it's, it's frightening. 
So despising preaching for that reason. The, the third way, people, third thing that makes people despise preaching is they have a bad experience in their life with a church or with a pastor. Now, if you've been going to church a long time, like, I don't know, whatever long is to you. If, you go, if you've been going to church a long time, say amen. If you're happy about it, say amen. amen. <laughs> that was better than the long, huh? Have you ever had a bad experience at church? Say amen. You ever had somebody yell at you at church? Amen. You ever wanted to punch somebody out at church? <laughs> I get punched out every Sunday when I go home. Valerie's like, don't you do it at me again. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have bad experiences at church. It's a bunch of sinners. I want you to look, look to your left, look to your right. You know, if I was a T.D. Jakes, I would say, look at your neighbor. And say, sinner. <laughs> we're all sinners. We're all, we're all doing stuff we shouldn't do. We act bad sometimes. You're going to have bad experiences. I, I am incredibly laid back, right? <laughs> and you, you, might, you might come into my office sometime when I've had a bad day. Now, I might, I might not be the, the nicest guy around. Usually on those days, I don't, wanna, I don't come up here. I stay away. But you can have bad experiences. Sometimes people let a bad experience just color the whole thing and say, I'm done with, I'm done with the whole shooting match. But, you know, if you, lived your, if you lived the rest of your life that way, well, you don't do that with the rest of your life. You have a bad experience at McDonald's? Does that mean you're done with McDonald's forever? Maybe in Sheboygan. <laughs> but you, you're going to go to Walmart, even if you have a bad checker. Do they still have checkers at Walmart? I mean, we're all working for Walmart now, aren't we? <laughs> you're you're going to go back. Bad experience with your husband or with your wife? You just give up on them and say, I'm done? You, you don't. You don't let bad experiences from the past color your perspective. Of your, I, have, I, have, I have friends who have been pastors then they, got, they quit being a pastor because they had some bad experiences. I have friends who quit going to church because they had bad experiences. And I, and I try to say, look, you know, not, 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 every, not every pastor is like that. Not every church is like that. We have bad experiences. We have to be cautious that we don't let those bad experiences make us so paranoid that we abandon the church and reject preaching. But I'll say this to you. If all of your experiences with churches and pastors is negative. If every single experience with, has been negative, you never found a good one, never had one that, was, <laughs> that you liked, what's the common denominator there? <laughs> it might be you. So maybe you should evaluate yourself from that perspective. Now let's make a prayer together and go to the house. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thanks for not letting the microphone mess up during the sermon. And the um, compressor didn't go off, so we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I'm glad to be a preacher and I pray that you would help these men and women 
I, I, I pray, Father, that in their life they have a church, a pastor, a fellowship of believers to really spend, spend their lives together with. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be mindful of the Spirit. Lord, when I think about my own, myself, and how I, I don't really think about the Holy Spirit as I ought, and I don't think enough of the Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, you would forgive me. I pray you would forgive me for the sins that I commit against you and grieve him. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to feel your forgiveness. And Father, I pray you help me to do better in the future. Lord, I pray this for my, my friends here today, too. I pray that you would help them. We pray that you would be with us in a special way. There are a lot of burdens represented in this room. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to these men and women who have difficulties, sicknesses, distressing situations, burdens. I pray that you would help them. And I pray, Lord, you would let them know that it's you that, in the way that only you can. We pray that you bless our week of ministry. We pray for all the kids who will be coming to Faith Kids this week. We pray that you would open their hearts to the truth of the gospel. They would believe on Jesus Christ and that uh, they would come to know him. Help us, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Let's stand together.